for the fact that you are here in this place even now. That through your spirit you want to speak to our hearts. You want to revive in us, Father, all the purposes and plans that you have for us. And Father, we pray that, uh, that through this service now, the Lord, we would be receptive to hear what you would speak to us. We thank you, Father, for the tithes and the offerings that have been given. We pray, Lord, you multiply them for the sake of your kingdom. But Father, right now, I, I pray, Lord, that you would multiply your word in each one of us. Lord, may we hear what the Spirit would say to each one of us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Most of you here have heard the name Walt Disney before, right? I think at some point you've probably come across that name. Walt Disney was a tremendous man of vision. But things weren't always easy for Walt Disney. The very first job he had was working as a graphic artist for a newspaper. And he ended up losing his job. He was fired for that. The newspaper said he had no good ideas. <laughs> well, they would be proven wrong later. That just made Walt Disney try even harder. Starting out, he was living in Kansas City and money was really tough. But he found a local pastor who would pay him a small amount of money to draw advertisements for their church newsletter. And uh, in payment, as part of the payment, this pastor actually let Walt Disney stay in the garage of the church. It was a, not a very nice place, a dusty, mouse-infested garage. As he was there living in this very difficult situation, he saw one night a mouse that kept running back and forth. And he liked the little fellow, and so he gave him the name Mickey. And I think most of us have heard of Mickey Mouse before as well. But the early days were tough for Walt Disney. He ended up moving to California, as we know, started Disney Studios. And in the early days, Walt Disney kept having these tremendous ideas, these, these visions. He said, you know, why don't we build a theme park here in California? And everybody, everybody thought that Walt Disney was crazy. Matter of fact, Walt Disney had a board of directors for his company. And this board of directors would meet every now and then. And Walt Disney would come and he would make certain proposals to them. And Chuck Swindoll said that he knew one of the people that sat on that early advisory council of Walt Disney. It said that Walt would come in. And he would sit down at the table of all these men. They were all businessmen. They were all very intelligent. They were all very successful men. And he would sit down and he would start sharing his vision for what he felt was next. And he said there were times when the people around the table would just sit there and they would just shake their head. And they would say, Walt, you're crazy. This will never work. And it said that Walt Disney would not proceed ahead with a project unless every person in the room was against the idea. Yeah, you heard that right. Not for it, against it. You see, if one person in the room said, hey, Walt, that's a great idea, I think we should do it, he would give that project to another person and he would say, well, I'll let someone run with that, that might be good. But if every person in the room was against it, he would say, okay, this is something that merits my attention and my energy. He was a tremendous man of vision. Vision is important in business. Vision is also important in the Christian life. I believe that just like Walt Disney had a vision, 
God has given every person in this room a vision. In his book, The Dream Giver, Bruce Wilkinson talks about the fact that God has given each one of us a dream. God has placed within all of us a purpose, something deep down that makes us tick, the reason for living. The problem is often in life, we lose track of that vision. We wander far away from that dream. That was certainly the case with the Israelites. There was a time in Israel's history where they lost sight of the dream that God had given to them. They had been conquered by a foreign nation. They had been taken into captivity. Their cities had been burned to the ground. The temple had been completely and utterly destroyed. They had absolutely no hope left. And it was at that point, in the depth of their hopelessness, that God came and reminded the Israelites that he is Indeed, the God of the impossible. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 10. It's a passage I'm sure you've read before or heard about, preached before. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 10. As a kid, I always thought, oh, this is really cool. There's bones in the Bible. You know, I could just kind of picture this scene. It would make a really good Hollywood production. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. In this passage, we see three particular things. Number one, God says to us, in the face of impossible situations, the first thing we need to do is we need to see the bones. We need to see the bones that are around us. When was the last time in your life you faced an impossible situation? Just a situation that seemed absolutely impossible. Here in this picture... Ezekiel is shown a valley filled with bones. And it says here very clearly that the bones were very dry. Leonard Ravenhill once wrote of this that, Does history offer a more ridiculous picture than this? Here is hopelessness incarnate. Who has ever had such a dumb audiences? 
Preachers deal with possibilities, prophets with impossibilities. Isaiah had seen his nation full of wounds and petrifying sores and disease, but that had galloped to death and death to disintegration. And now these disjointed bones spelled out despair. Written over the whole situation in large letters is impossibility. Dry bones, let's face it, dry bones are as dead as you can get, right? I mean, doctors will tell you there's different levels of death. There is death when the heart stops. When your heart stops, you are clinically dead. But we all know that, you know, you can hit them with that electricity and the heart can be restarted again. So even though the heart may have stopped, there's still hope. And then there's something doctors call brain dead. That comes to the point where even though the body may still be going on, even though the heart may be still beating, the brain is gone. And at that point, well, that's really dead. That's, That's even harder than just heart dead. But we're not talking about just heart dead here or brain dead. We're not just talking about the fact that the body is dead. We're talking about the fact that the body is gone. It's not even like the bones are moist or that the body is just dead. You see, because then there would be hope. If a body is just dead, there's always that hope, that that maybe far away hope, but maybe even that glimmer of hope that somehow this may come back to life. Remember the story of Lazarus when he died? And Jesus, it said, tarried for four days. And then he came back on the fourth day. And Martha ran out to him. And she said, oh, Jesus, if only you had been here a day after he died. If only you had been here two days after he had died. If only even you had been here three days after you had died. Because you see, Jewish myth was that the the, the spirit after you died would linger around the body for a couple of days. But then on the third day that it would depart, it would go. To be with the presence of God. You see, though, it was the fourth day. And Martha said, if only, if only you had been here sooner. If only you had gotten here yesterday. Yesterday I had hope. Yesterday I still held to the belief that maybe, just maybe, something could be done. But now it's too late. Well, this isn't four days. This isn't even five, six, seven days. A month, a year. This is long dead. And these bones are very dry. Life is long gone. There are times in life, there are situations like that in life. Maybe we have a dream when we're young. Oh, Lord, when I grow up, this is what I want to be. Oh, Lord, when I, when I grow up, man, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell people about you. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm going to share you with the people in my workplace, and they're all going to come to Christ. I'm going to go to school, and I'm going to win the whole school for Jesus. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. We have dreams. We have things that we want to do, things that we feel that God is calling us to, leading us into. But over time, we lose sight of those things. And there are situations that arise, illnesses, apathy. And over time, we begin to despair and we begin to lose hope. And if given enough time, hopelessness is the result. Heard a story of a man that was driving down a bumpy country road as he was driving along, he noticed that there on the side of the road, there was a bag of concrete. 
And he thought to himself, oh, I know what happened. Probably a delivery truck was going down this country road, hit a bump, that, that bag of cement fell off the back of the truck. Oh, that bag of cement was probably purchased for a reason. It was probably going somewhere to build something. The man said, saw, thought to himself, well, you know what? Concrete is good. I can always use some concrete. And so he stopped his car and he got out and he went to pick up that bag of concrete and put it in the back of his car. And as he went to pick it up, oh, you see, the rains had come and that concrete had hardened and that concrete had solidified and it was no longer a pliable bag of concrete. Now it was a rock, a rock and a bag on the side of the road. It was useless. It could be used for no purpose. See, sometimes in life we're like that. We're going down the roads of life and we know that God has given us a purpose. We know that God has given us a dream. But then we hit a bump and we fall. And instead of getting up and brushing ourselves off and staying down the road, we lie there in our pain, allowing ourselves to become harder and harder and harder until that purpose, until that mission, that plan that God has placed in each one of us dies and becomes dry bones. God asks Ezekiel a question. He says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the only answer that the hopeless can give. He says, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. In other words, Ezekiel says, I don't know, God. I don't know. Maybe I once believed they could. Maybe I had held out that there was still hope for the nation of Israel, but now the cities are gone, the temple is destroyed, we're in exile. We're held captive. I don't know. I don't know. Is there an area of your life where if God were to ask you, can these bones live? You would just say to God, I don't know. I don't know. God, there's been so much water under the bridge. God, there have been so many disappointments. God, there's been so much time that's passed. So many challenges. I don't know, Lord. What does God say to Ezekiel? Number one, see the bones. But number two, don't simply see the bones. God says, Ezekiel, I want you to speak to those bones. I want you to speak to the bones. Prophesy to the bones. Now, when most of us hear the word prophecy, we misunderstand. Prophecy, that's kind of weird. Isn't prophecy kind of like fortune telling? Isn't prophecy like the guy that stands on the street corner, the end of the world is near with the, you know, the big sign? That isn't what prophecy means. Prophecy simply means hearing a message from God and communicating that message to another person. It's hearing from God and communicating that message to another person. But still, I mean, Ezekiel was told to talk to bones. Wouldn't you have felt kind of weird talking to bones, an inanimate object? I mean, anybody here ever had a really good conversation with a tree before? It's kind of hard, isn't it? You know, inanimate objects don't make good things. And, and have you ever seen somebody who's just talking to themselves, how strange that looks? I mean, when Bluetooth things started coming out, you know, people driving along in the car talking to themselves, you look over and the person's all... 
about like this when you're going, there's nobody in the car with you. Hello. Kind of like a story I heard of a woman who went to a public washroom and she was in the stall and she heard the person beside her. Hello. Is anyone there? And she kind of thought, what? And, and then she heard the voice again. Hello. Is anyone over there? And she said, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm here. And the voice said, are you coming over this afternoon? And she said, oh, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't really know you. And, um, you know, I don't know who this is. And then she heard the voice whisper, hey, I'll call you right back. There's some crazy lady in the stall next to me that keeps talking to me. You know, the lady was on the phone, you know, and she didn't know that. It's kind of embarrassing. But people don't usually talk to themselves. That's, that's not a normal thing to do. And yet Ezekiel was said here to prophesy to the bones, to declare the word of the Lord to the bones. Now, what does that mean, the word of the Lord? Well, there's, there's, there's two basic words for the word word, if you follow that. Two basic Greek words that they use to say word of the Lord. Number one is the word logos. Logos is the word that we get when it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's all logos. What the logos is, is basically, as Heraclitus said in about 600 BC, it's a word used to designate a divine plan or divine reason. In other words, this is God's word. This is God's divine plan. This is God's design, divine will for each one of our lives. The Logos, the Bible. So if you want to find out what God's will for you is, if you want to hear God's word for you, you just read this book. How many times have you been reading the Bible and you felt like it was talking directly to you? A book written, you know, thousands of years ago and you're reading it and it's like, it just, the words jump right off the page and it's just like, wow, God is talking directly to me today. The Bible is an important thing. When we lived in Kuwait, it was easy to get discouraged as we thought about reaching the nation of Kuwait with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was very easy to get discouraged. When we arrived in Kuwait, we were told first off that there had never been a Kuwaiti Muslim that had ever become a Christian, ever, in the history of the country. The church had been there 80 years. Not a single person had ever become a Christian. It was an incredible task, an impossible task. But we didn't give up. Why? Because we had the Logos Word. And the Logos Word says that one day the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. The Logos Word says that in the end, every tribe, every tongue, every language will be standing before the throne of God, proclaiming the word of the Lord. That includes Kuwait. And so as we walked around Kuwait, I would walk around Kuwait, I would see the mosques, and I would just declare the word of the Lord. I would say, Kuwait, hear the word of the Lord. One day there will be a Kuwaiti church. One day there will be people from this nation standing before the throne of God in heaven. The gospel will go forward. This nation will be one to the Lord. It's going to happen. How do I know it? The word says it. The Logos word declares it. And so our time, there are times that we can declare that Logos word, God's word, to the situations in our life. Where we look at our lives and we see this is an impossibility, but then we open it up and we go, oh no, no, that's not an impossibility. Because God has said this, and because God has said it, I believe it to be true. But there's another word, and that is the word rhema. Rhema 
is a specific word given for a specific situation. If you want an example of rhema, look at Acts 16, verses 6 to 9. It says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept from the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They came to the border of Mysia. They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. And so they passed by Mythia, went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. Long story short, Paul and his Companions wanted to go this way. They're thinking, we want to preach the gospel over there. We really want to go over there. But the more they tried to get over there, the more they were hindered. We're not told exactly how they were hindered. But, but there was a problem. They couldn't get there. And as they were trying to get there, he had a dream, go there. And so Paul said, oh, okay. And so they went in this direction instead. And what happened? The gospel broke out. And his mission continued. You see, that was a rhema word. Does that mean that God didn't want those people to hear the gospel? No, the Logos word says that they are going to hear the gospel someday. But the rhema word was that right now, in this situation, I want you, Paul, instead of going that way, I want you to go that way. That's what the rhema word is. A specific word for a specific situation. Has there ever been a time in your life when God spoke a specific word into your life and it changed your life forever. I know in my life there's been a lot of experiences like that. Either through the Logos word or through the Rhema word. Someone coming up and just saying something to me. You know, Steve, I was thinking the other day that... And then they'd say, and it's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That is exactly the right word at the right time. That's what I needed to hear. There's a professor at a Bible college in the United States, a big Bible college in the United States called Fred Craddock. He's a professor of preaching. He tells a story that one day he and his family were in Tennessee on vacation. And as they were traveling through Tennessee, they stopped at a Cracker Barrel. You know, I think some of us here have eaten at the Cracker Barrel before. Well, he's sitting down, he's eating, and along came this older man. And this older man was walking through the restaurant, and he stopped at their table, and he turned to them and he said, Oh, are, are you visiting us? Are you on vacation? Are you having a good time? And Professor Craddock said, Yes, yes, we're on vacation, and, and yes, we're having a very good time. The older man said, Oh, and, and what is it that you do? And Professor Craddock, you know, not really wanting the man to take up a lot of their family time, thought, you know, I'll just tell him what I do, and that way the man will just run when he hears that I'm a preacher. So he said, you know, I'm a professor of preaching. And the older man sat right down at the table. And he said, oh, you're a preacher. Well, let me tell you a good preacher's story. The man began to unfold his tale. He said, you know, I was born an illegitimate child. I never knew who my father was. And that was my greatest fear in life. Everywhere I went, I always went around with that over my head. As I walked down the street, I felt like people were looking at me and pointing and whispering and saying the same thing all the time. I wonder who that boy's father is. And he said, because of that, I had terrible self-esteem. I just kept to myself. I didn't have any friends. I never went to church. But then one day I heard that there was a new preacher in town. 
And I heard he was really good. So I thought, I'll go try out the church. And so I snuck in the back of the church. The service had already started. And I sat and I listened to him. And then before the service was over, I ran out the back door of the church so I wouldn't have to see anybody or meet anybody. And he said he did that two, three times more. But then he was in church and he was listening to the message and he got so caught up with the message that he stayed until the end and the music began to play. And before I could get out to the back, I felt this hand upon my shoulder and I turned around and there was the pastor looking down at me. And he said the pastor asked him the question he didn't want to hear. The pastor looked down at him and said, Who are you, son? Whose family are you from? Who's your father? And the boy just looked at the floor. And the pastor said something remarkable. He said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know who you are. I, I know whose family you are. Oh, yes, now I see it. You bear a very strong resemblance. You're a child of God, aren't you, son? And he said, those words changed my life. I went out from that church that day a different person, knowing that I had a father, a father who loved me, a father who would never leave my side. The old man got up from the table. He went on his way. One of the waitresses came up and said, Do you know who you were just talking to? Professor Craddock said, No, it was just an old man in the restaurant. He goes, She said, Oh, no, no. That's Ben Hooper. That's the three-term governor of Tennessee. <laughs> He's one of the most influential men in this state. You see, when God speaks, it changes lives. No matter what situation you are in right now, no matter what dream has died, God can speak a word and he can change it all. God can speak either through the Logos or the Rhema, either through his word or through another person. The words that can totally change any situation. Because God is the God of the impossible. You have to see the bones, number one. You have to speak to the bones, number two. And lastly, in closing, you have to believe what God says about the bones. Charles Allen once said this, When you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you are slamming the door in the face of God. There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. With God, valleys of bones become armies of righteousness. God can do anything in us, and God can do anything through us. That's what happened in this story. Ezekiel goes on in Ezekiel 37.12 to say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you out from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you out from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So what's your valley of dry bones? If you were to say today, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What would the Lord say to those bones today? Heard about a family who had a cat that was run over by a car. 
little boy was away at school at the time. He got home from school and he went in and he was looking for the cat. Finally went to his parents and said, Mom, Dad, where's the cat? And the mother didn't know exactly how to say it, so she sat the boy down and said, Son, I'm, I'm real sorry, but the cat was hit by a car today. And the cat has gone to be with Jesus in heaven. And the boy kind of scratched his head and walked away thinking to himself, Yeah, but what does God want with a dead cat? That's a lack of vision, right? That's a lack of vision. What holds us back from our vision? Very often it's cynicism. It's hopelessness. Cynicism, says Fred Smith, is cancer of the spirit. The bad cells of hopelessness attack the good cells of the spirit and if undiagnosed will eventually destroy the soul. Apathy. We give up. We write off the dream is impossible. Heard a story about a certain city that had a big school system. They had hired a teacher that would go around to the hospitals. You see, every now and then, kids in the school system would get a broken arm or they would have to go to the hospital. And so the teacher would go and spend with them some time so that they could catch up with their schoolwork so that when they left the hospital and went back to school, they'd be ready for that. And so this teacher got a call. She said, oh, there's a boy and he's in such and such a hospital. Could you please go and help him? He's working on his nouns and his verbs right now. And so the teacher said, great. She got all her teaching material on nouns and verbs. She went to the hospital. She was very happy to go and to sit down with this young boy and teach him. But she wasn't prepared for what she found. When she walked into the boy's room, you see, this boy had been caught in a terrible fire. He had been burned over most of his body. His face was was terribly deformed. And the teacher didn't know what to say. She froze. She said, oh, I'm... I'm the." She sat down beside the bed and, and she couldn't even look at the boy and, and she went through her notes and she fumbled over the words to speak and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help you with your nouns and your verbs so that when you go back to school, you'll be caught up. And, and she tried to have a normal lesson with him, but she just couldn't do it. And she felt so bad. She finally got up and left. She composed herself. A few days later, she went back to the hospital saying, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to, I'm going to try this again. But when she arrived at the hospital, one of the nurses ran out to meet her. She said, what did you say to that boy? What did you say to him? Oh, the teacher confessed, I'm so sorry. I, I wasn't prepared for his condition. I, I know I really fumbled it. I, I, I probably made a fool of myself. No, 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 the, t- the, the, the nurse said, you don't understand, you don't understand. Ever since you visited the boy a couple of days ago, It's been totally different. His spirit is so much better. You know, until then we were worried. He had just given up on life. We didn't think he was going to make it through the night. But he did make it through the night. And now he's happy and he's cheerful. And it's as if he's a totally different kid. What did you say to him? And the teacher said, I don't know. I don't know what I said. She went up, she had a class with the boy, she continued to have classes with the boy over the next weeks. And after a couple weeks, she finally said, that first day I came to visit you, the nurses said that 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 really was important. Why was that so important to you? I thought I did a terrible job. 
And the boy said, well, up until then, I thought I was going to die. I thought my life was over. But then you came to see me. And I thought to myself, you know, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? It was hope. Hope made all the difference. It was hope that got him through it. God wouldn't send Jesus into this world for a hopeless cause. He wouldn't send Jesus into each one of our lives if he thought that our lives were hopeless. If he thought that there were situations that were impossible. God wants to do a work in each one of us. God wants to speak and he wants to restore and he wants to heal and he wants to mend. You know, maybe you're here this morning and this message is a little irrelevant. Maybe you just got back from your Haiti trip and you're on cloud nine. I mean, you've just met your dream. You've, you've been there. You've seen this place that you dreamt about for so long and God used you in an amazing way and you're here and you're like, yes, this is so amazing. But maybe your Haiti trip is long past. Maybe there's a time in your life where you felt God use you in a powerful way and you had such dreams for the future, such vision of what you felt God was going to do with your life. But those days are over and they're long gone. Back in the early 70s, my family went to visit Florida for the first time. We had a great time. We went to the beach, loved the beach. And then my dad's driving through central Florida. I mean, we're in the middle of swampland. We're in the middle of the ugliest, most boring place in all of Florida. And as we're driving along, dad says, I'm going to show you something amazing. And so we're thinking, oh, amazing. Amazing is good. We've seen the beach. We've seen the palm trees. We've seen all the cool stuff that Florida has to offer. You know, amazing. And dad goes, here it is. And I'm like, where is it? Where is it? And it's like swampland. He goes, there it is. Do you see it? No, I see nothing. I see a bunch of trees. I see swampland. He goes, no, no, no. Over here. Oh, well, there was a sign on the side of the road. Just a little sign. The sign said, future home of Walt Disney World. What's a Walt Disney World, I thought. There was a little visitor center. We pulled in, went inside this little building. Inside there were all these pictures of fantastic rides and futuristic places. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, oh, it's like an art gallery. It's like all kinds of fun-looking pictures. Oh, that's interesting. Certainly not amazing. We went back to Florida two years later, went back to that same spot. The visitor center wasn't there anymore. Instead, it was a four-lane highway. And at the end of that four-lane highway was the Magic Kingdom. I remember going in there for the first time and seeing the castle, Pirates of the Caribbean, Space Mountain, all this incredible stuff, and having just an amazing time and thinking to myself, oh, is that what Dad meant? Is that what he meant? You know, it said that Walt Disney, who died just before the Magic Kingdom in Florida opened, on the day that the Magic Kingdom opened, there was Walter Cronkite giving a news report. And he was there with Mrs. Disney. And Walter Cronkite didn't know what to say. And so at one point he leaned over to Mrs. Disney and he said, 
well, wouldn't it have been great if Walt had been here to see this? And Mrs. Disney smiled and she said back, Walt did see it. That's why we're here today. He did see it. He saw it before the ground was ever laid. It was in his mind, a vision that he had. And the magic kingdom, all that stuff down there is a result of his vision. Imagine if God was to take what God has placed in you and bring it to fruition. Imagine what God could do with all those bones. The armies that could be resurrected. The armies of righteousness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I... I would simply ask this day, the Lord, as you seek and look into each one of our hearts, that, Father, we would ask the question, Lord, is there something in my life that's undone? Lord, is there a dream? Is there a purpose? Is there a mission that you have given to me that I've forgotten about, that I have misplaced, that over time has died? Father, I pray that you would speak in every heart here, every life here this morning, and that you would, Lord, revive those dreams, renew that vision, bring us back to those places of excitement, those places where we have met you and where we have been used of you and where we have seen you do great things in our lives. And Father, I pray that you would do a new work even greater than any work before, that, Father, you would revive those lost dreams. Restore, Father, if there has been brokenness. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with us. We'll sing one last song.